Welcome to the RepChat Inside Stories series, conversations with creative talent and creative entrepreneurial businesses. We discover the inside stories that inspire and motivate creative people to do what they do. So here we are in the RebCat studio, and I'm really, really pleased for the next guest we have, who is Sherilyn Shackle. She's the founder of the Marketing Academy. This is a unique non-for-profit organization dedicated to the development of leadership talent in the world of marketing, media, and advertising. She launched the Academy in the UK in 2010, in Australia in 2014, and in the USA in 2018. It's bringing together some of the world's best known and popular brands to provide world-class learning for young leaders to CMOs through powerful selective development programs. And there's so much else in Sherilyn's life, but she's here to talk about the things that really matter in leadership and many other things. Welcome, Sherilyn. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's an absolute delight. I just looked at some of the things that you have set up and achieved, and it is just staggering, really. So where did it all begin, Sherilyn? Um, as I know that although there was a dotted line to marketing, you haven't always done this. So where did your career begin? <laughs> yeah, it surprises a lot of people, given that I set up a, an organisation called the Marketing Academy, that I'm not actually a marketeer at all. I think in a sliding door moment, I probably could have been. I could have gone into marketing when I was younger and maybe should have, but I didn't, um, but always felt very interested in it but my path was very different up until my um, early 40s so my actual first career as I call it was as a headhunter so I fell into the world of recruitment when I was about 24 years old and I stayed in it pretty much for the next 20 years and and to be honest I was quite good at it <laughs> which I think is why I stayed in it so long you know when you find something that you're good at and if you're successful in something you make a bit of money and then you work harder to keep the money you've made and you just keep you keep on going on that career treadmill don't you and that's what I did and I got to my um I got to my late 30s actually and began to feel some frustration or discomfort. I I didn't particularly like the industry that I was in. And I felt that the role of a headhunter, whilst some people will say it's essential and it provides value, for me, it felt very transactional. And, you know, it's an industry that gets called in usually as a distress purchase, I would say. A board will pull in a headhunter when something's gone wrong often unless you're in moments of growth and there were some you know real boom times while I was a headhunter unless you're in moments of growth you're really hiring somebody as a headhunter because somebody's been fired or you know someone's resigned or you know the business is tanking so you've just let go of some of your c-suite because you don't believe in them and therefore the transaction between a client and a headhunter can sometimes be around, you know, discomfort and discourse. So I always found it highly transactional in nature. And I began to become frustrated with that, I think, as my career developed. And uh, whilst I was still, as I said, quite good at it and making 
quite nice money from it because it's a very lucrative profession. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, uh, you know, my soul was not filled with joy <laughs> in the path I'd chosen to take. I think that you, just something you mentioned, um, the distress tiring, but also that your soul was yearning for something, that clarion call that comes to people and you really listen in. You can either switch it and carry on or you just really listen in and have the courage to do something different. And I think many people today are hearing that clarion call. So when you got that frustration and you felt, I need to do something different, what happened then? I didn't action it. I didn't action it as okay. quickly as I should have. So I knew it was there, but I felt the fear. And that's, I believe, why people don't listen to the call when it comes enough. I felt the fear. I was in my late 30s. I was the only breadwinner. Um, I had a family to support. I had, at that point, I had two children, you know, both at expensive schools. And I had a big mortgage and, you know, a big lifestyle that reflected what at that point would have looked from outside in a very successful career. Um, and so it, my discomfort and my frustration and, you know, the ignoring this inner voice actually led to me becoming very ill. So when I was in my very early 40s, when I had just had a third child, so she was about nine months old when this happened. I think I was 41, 42 when this thing happened. Um, I literally... Um, made myself ill. I had a very, very significant illness that could have killed me overnight. And I found myself in hospital in intensive care and um, realized that I had kind of manifested this illness. You know, I'd, I'd ignored the fact that inside me, I was kind of ripping apart at the seams. I was uh, working way too hard and because because of the fear you know you when you have that bit of success in your life and then you don't want to lose it and um, but you get scared that you're going to lose it because you've tasted it now and then you get on this treadmill that says you've just got to keep going because you've got to maintain what you've got and you've got to make sure that you're not going to lose it and that's where I'd found myself and I was working ridiculously long hours never taking holidays my phone would be attached to my ear throughout an entire holiday um, I was a real control freak in the working environment um, I wasn't my best self in any way really I wasn't the best mother I wasn't the best partner or wife and I certainly wasn't the best business leader um, but I was just continuing on this sort of treadmill of doom <laughs> and I was working so hard and self-medicating you know drinking too much not not taking care of myself my well-being wasn't didn't even figure in any of my thought processes. Um, just this constant drive and need to maintain what I had was, was, was what was really driving me. So I kind of manifested the illness. First of all, I'm really sorry to hear that you, you got so sick and, and you're really drawing on that connection between, you know, need, the kind of the drive to continue and that fear of trying to keep it all going and then realising that, you know, you, you got very, very sick. So I'm really sorry to hear that. But I know that things did change for you, um, Sherilyn. 
Oh, yeah, they did. They did. And I think, I mean, to be honest, it was the best thing that could possibly, possibly happen to me. So I actually thank the universe that it delivered me that lesson without killing me. (laughs) And it gave me the opportunity to really step back. It gave me, it took me about, it only took me about six months to recover physically, but it probably took me about two years to recover emotionally and psychologically. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd gone through my life believing that I was completely invincible and that nothing was going to get me. Um, And then I found myself completely broken and you know in a space and a place where the my illness had forced me to look at how I was living my life and and I was really privileged because I had had in my life uh, some other avenues that had really triggered passion in me and one of them was that I was on the board of a leadership development company so I was a non-exec on on the board of a leadership development company which had really triggered this passion for developing other leaders, which up until that point, I'm not sure I really had. (laughs) I didn't really have much space in my life, I didn't think, for doing that. Um, But I discovered through the kind of the recovery of being ill and really seeking, well, you know, if the choices that I'd made up to that point nearly killed me, how was I going to live, you know, the next 10 or 20 years of my life? I knew that I had to change my life. And that meant I needed to make some really big calls about how I was living my life and what I I was focusing my attention on. And I basically decided over a period of time, I decided that I did not want to be in that whole commercial rat race thing anymore. And that we were going to make some decisions and choices about our lifestyle and our livelihood and the way in which you know that was sucking every part of my energy and I was going to do something very different you know having had a wake-up call like I had really made me think about what legacy you leave you know I remember thinking oh my god if I die today that how shit will that be (laughs) because you know I haven't left any kind of legacy I haven't made a difference I haven't made an impact in fact you know I haven't been as I said the best partner or the best mother or the best boss or anything and I knew I had to to change it and the marketing academy was actually the result over quite quite a period of time that was the result of of that thought process you went through an enormous uh, a transformation at a soul level Mm. to discover something very deep within you I'm sorry to hear that that was such a painful um, journey, but also some of the the richness of of what you did. Also, next manifest was this enormously successful organization. You say it's over three continents mm. and actually responsible developing our future leaders. Absolutely, and you know, to be honest, when I look at it now, I can't believe it is where it is <laughs> because that wasn't going to be the plan. So the first, my first step was to really look at what filled me with joy what 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 was I doing when I was at my absolute best what what were the real skills and capabilities I had you know what what could I offer um, and what might that look like and because I knew I didn't want to be in the commercial rep race I was looking I was seeking something that was very charitable or social enterprise based I wanted to, to get involved in something that was making a big difference and of course I was already quite passionate about leadership 
And I was already of the belief that, you know, the future of the world was going to be resting on the shoulders of the talent that was coming up through, through the ranks, not, not the people my age. I'm 57. The future is not going to rely on me. It's going to be, rely on the 30-somethings. And that, and that leadership would be the key to that. So I knew I wanted to do something with leadership at its heart. I knew that I didn't want to be in a commercial environment. So I was looking for some sort of charity work or foundation or social enterprise. And I couldn't find anything at the time because we're talking about right at the tipping point of the, of the big recession. So, you know, in the in 2008, 2009, you know, when things were really shit everywhere <laughs> and even charities and social enterprises weren't doing much at that point because the whole world was falling off a cliff. And so I couldn't find anything. I couldn't. I couldn't even find any charity work I could get involved in. So I thought, well, if, if I've got this sort of passion and I've got this need and I've got this thing I want to fill, this gap I want to fill, then I should be the one that fills it, you know, be the change you want to see. And so I decided that I would launch something that was a really, it was a passion project. In that first year, it was a passion project. And I wanted it to be about leadership development. I didn't want commercials involved in it. And I wanted it to be in an industry or a sector that I believed would make the biggest ripple effect in, in the world. And I had always been very passionate about the boards I was working with as clients as a headhunter, about the boards putting customer in the center and heart of their boardroom. And I'd always become quite frustrated that at that time, at least, not very many organizations had chief marketing officers in the center of the boardroom. They had chief marketing officers, but they weren't on the boards. They weren't in the real steering positions. So it felt to me quite obvious that this industry and function of marketing, media and advertising that has a direct impact and influence over every citizen on the planet would be the industry and, and function that I wanted to to work in, to invest in the talent of. And so with a lot of people, and it sounds like, so I might have the job title of founder and CEO, but actually with a lot of people, and I'm talking hundreds in the first year of really thinking this strategy through, coming up with this business model, um, we came up with what was only ever gonna be a one year, it was gonna be a one year thing. <laughs> which we called the Marketing Academy Scholarship Program. Mm -hmm. And effectively a leadership program plus much more aimed at the emerging leadership talent in marketing, media and advertising in the UK. Um, quite small, so a class size of 30, hand-picked, so highly selective, totally free because it would be supported by incredible industry leaders who were absolute masters and legends of, in their lifetimes. And all of these mentors and coaches and speakers and inspirational people would volunteer their time to nurture and develop this cohort of 30 you know, rising stars in our industry. And that's how the Marketing Academy started. So we launched it in 2010 with what was going to be a one-year program. I funded the build myself because I felt it was a passion. It was really a passion project. 
I was still running my headhunting firm at that time, but it was dying on the vine, if I'm honest, because I was ignoring it completely <laughs> and co- totally consumed with this thing that was filling me with absolute joy and inspiration. Um, and we were about halfway through the first year and the scholars in that in that class, the class of 2010, said, this is amazing. It is incredible. It's life changing. It's transformational. And we thought, crikey, we really do need to continue this thing. Wow, what amazing story. What I really love is the identification of the missing piece, which was the messaging piece. And that's so important not to be at that really high board level making decisions and not knowing how to communicate that. So you brought that right into the centre. And then you're networking and really bringing really great people together to nurture this talent Mm. and say leadership is a responsibility. Leadership is something that grows. You know, if if you want to do this, then you need to learn. And they were supported by, it sounds like, amazing talent. So done completely from the heart. Mm. with the highest of integrity Sherilyn that's what I'm hearing Mm. and it's like what we need right now so that was 2010 the first year was a complete triumph and and the energy you got I suppose from that realized I'm going to continue I'm sure it wasn't easy so what happened then it went like a magical snowball you know the (laughs) snowball that like just rolls down the hill and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it just started you know, more organizations got involved, more people, more mentors, more coaches, but these amazing inspirational people um, became involved. So in the first, I think we were three years in and we decided to launch a more senior program. So we were we were operating at the emerging leader level at the scholarship, which we still do. So they're in there. Well, there's not an age on it, but they tend to be in their early early to mid 30s um, up to about 40 but they're, they're at that sort of tipping pivot point in their career they're already in leadership roles but possibly that probably their first leadership role um, and we decided that we would launch a program for chief marketing officers so at the very very highest level within our industry um, I was led through an amazing person who still works with us now Thomas Barter to McKinsey Mm-hmm. And uh, I met with um, a group of partners at McKinsey, found myself in London presenting to a lot of McKinsey partners saying, I've kind of got this idea of this thing that I want to do. And they were incredible. And they basically said, we're in. Now tell us what you want. Wow. <laughs> and I said, I want everything I can get. Um, <laughs> and, um, and they supported us in the design, build and running of what is known as our fellowship program. Mm-hmm. So that program launched in Europe. Um, uh, well, I think we're in our ninth cohort now in Europe. And so that's for current chief marketing officers in brands. Our scholars, the scholarship level are, is in marketing, media and advertising. So across the whole industry, but the fellowship is exclusively for client side brands, CMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was super, super exciting. Very, very successful. It, it is still probably one of the most exclusive executive development programs out there for chief marketing officers because it is highly selective we get applications all over the world and that class size is even smaller than our scholarship so the class size is around 20 so um so that was successful in year three and then in year four uh we took the scholarship to australia so we set up the scholarship out of australia and we're now in year eight uh, in Australia. And then um, 
in 2019, we took the scholarship to the 2018, sorry, we took the scholarship to the US. So we're in our fourth year of the scholarship in the US. And then two years ago, we launched the fellowship program in the US as well. So we do the CMO program in EMEA and the US. We do the scholarship in the three countries, UK, Australia, and the US. And then we run alumni programs for all of them in all three countries. Um, that supports the scholarship and fellow alumni around the world. And then last year, because of the pandemic, uh, which again, I think was a gift from the universe for us. And I realized it was pretty horrific for most people and lots of grief um, and loss surrounding the pandemic. But where the academy was concerned, it was quite um, a pivotal point for us because we needed to get good at virtual very quickly, <laughs> given that all of our programs are delivered in person in three countries through a number of different boot camps and residentials and events. We needed to get good at virtual and because we were delivering so much virtually we decided for the first time in a decade that we would actually open the doors slightly to the marketing academy and created a virtual program which is called the marketing academy virtual campus which is ostensibly to support our alumni but it's also for all of our partners our mentors our coaches all of our speakers and their teams so it's basically a gift back to all of the people and companies that support us um, is a development program for their employees. And there's six and a half thousand people enrolled on that program. Yeah. So um, that that we would never have done, I don't think. Well, we might have done eventually, but it would have taken us a long time to get there. Even if we had made the decision to do it, it would have taken us ages. And we launched that in January last year. So that's that's really exciting. Well, it just seems to have, I mean, the genesis started, as you say, 2010, and it seems to have developed and developed, joining in with, you know, great names and, the, as you say, the mentoring, the coaching, the development, and that incredible support that people need when they're actually working in those positions, that that's also on hand. So it's a, it's a, it's an offering which has everything. When, you know, when we spoke before, we spoke about um, beliefs and you really were very passionate about that. Mm -hmm. um, how much does that play in the programs that you offer your leaders? We work in, in all of our programs. We work very hard at unlocking inherited and learned beliefs. Mm -hmm. And we work very hard at unlocking limiting beliefs. Um, and... I guess it's because at the core of all of our programs is fabulous leadership, right? That's the, the mm. most important thing. Now that has to start inside us. That has to start with really understanding self, you know, to be the most powerful, inspirational, empowering leader. You have to be coming from a core place of authenticity and to really understand who you are you really got to look back over how you've become who you are and being able to being aware that it's all of our past experiences that have created and shaped and formed who we are today is the only real way to raise your awareness high enough so you can begin to take some responsibility for some of the choices that you've made, knowing that you can challenge some of the choices that you've made and understanding 
what your own belief system is causing you to behave like for the now and in the future. So we work with all of our cohorts of all of our programs at a very um, central human personal basis. I love that because so many development programs only really focus on behavior. It's like behavior, here's the culture. But when you go so deep into the identity of an individual about what, who they are, what makes up their beliefs, where do they come from? Are they supportive? Are they keeping that person locked down into something which they can't be, they can't develop their potential. I mean, I absolutely think that is so key um, into really having the lens to look at what is it you really believe about yourself, about your capacities, about leadership, about your organization, all of those things. Yeah, it does. It does. Because otherwise anything that you teach just sits on top. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get taken in at a heart level. And, you know, you can't make shift happen. You can't make change happen. You can't step into the most exceptional version of you if you're not prepared to, 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 to look at and do things at a heart level. I, I, you know, a development program that just gives people skills is not, you know, give they'll wear them like a, you know, they'll wear it like a top hat. You know, they'll they'll put the skills on when they think they need them, and then they'll take them off and they'll put them over to one side. Well, we're of the belief that you know the human the human you that shows up at home is exactly the same human you that shows up in the workplace. So let's look at what's made you the human you, and let's think about what what might be serving you and what might not be serving you. You know, why do you have the belief system you have? What can you challenge about it? How might you think about those things differently? And once you really understand that, then you can start thinking about what shifts you want to change going forward. And if you can shift your beliefs, you can shift your behaviours immediately. Absolutely. And in as we stand at 2022 and you look forward, maybe at the world and your leadership programme, mm. if there were some, if you had a, the magic wand and you had some wishes for leaders all over the world right now, what would they be? Well, so I think the future is very bright and I believe that because I'm working with the people who are going to inherit it, certainly in my industry. And actually, I think people of a certain age group are pretty similar, um, to be to be quite honest. I think that the younger generations have shifted some focus from, you know, the older the older guard <laughs> and I would include myself in that and you know any any person over the age of 50 who tend to be running most of the big companies around the world right mm-hmm. um, I think the younger generations coming up underneath us have far better more um, productive qualities to be able to make impact happen at, on a global scale in a positive way and you know, leadership leadership can be used for good or bad mm-hmm. or mundane. You know, you can get good leadership. You can get absolutely shit leadership. But positions of power and authority do not necessarily mean that they are people with great leadership capability, unfortunately. And I think going forward, that will shift. I think that the leadership in the world will shift over time because those that are inheriting the world will think and behave differently. So when I look at our scholar and our scholar alum, uh, who are all mostly in their 30s, very early 40s, but mostly in their 30s, 
um, these are the these are the young people who will be running all of the global C-suites in the future. And this age group really, they are seeking more, fortunately. They are seeking more purpose. They are seeking more sustainability. They are seeking ways in which they can save the planet for the future. They, are, they have more compassion. They have more empathy. They're much more connected. They're more curious. And I believe that they're more willing to let go of inherited beliefs, as they should. Here's my worry. My worry is that the current generations of leaders at the very, very top around the world are not role modeling the kind of behaviors that these younger emerging talent need to see. So my only worry, and it's why we work so hard on it within the scholarship, is that this fantastic high potential you know future leadership talent start to mirror what they're seeing and god knows that's the last thing we need them to be doing and that's why we talk about you know inherited beliefs learned behaviors those um those people the young talent that i see going into a culture of an organization that's being ruled by hierarchy by control and command by fear and if they're not careful believing that that's what they have to do in order to be successful I you know my fear is that there's still too much of that you know we've got to get my generation's got to get out of the bloody way and And I would say another thing Sherilyn it's that even if they go into those environments and they're the only one of this new paradigm Mm. to want a better word being infected with the old beliefs mm. and we are also products of our environments as much as our own belief systems you know that impacts us greatly yes. so for those listening to to us talk about this what can we do be what the change we- be the change you want to see be the change you want to see you know all it really requires is an open mind and a bit of courage that's all it really needs here's my our fundamental belief around leadership what we believe leadership isn't is a job title we don't believe it's a position of authority we don't believe it's a position of power we don't believe that it's just solely down to whether you are managing people in a team on a day-to-day basis we don't believe that that's what leadership is our belief about about a leader is that if you're in a position to influence anybody in your life in any way you are already leading mm. you don't need the job title you don't need the position of authority you don't need to be leading and managing a team of people if there is influence outside of yourself on any other human being on the planet you're already leading just decide what kind of a leader you want to be and have the courage to own that because they can make so much seismic change within an organization if they just shift those around them that they've got influence over because the beautiful thing about great leadership is it has a ripple effect so if what you're doing is working influencing the people around you to understand how they can work at their best how they can be the best they can be how they can tip into their authentic self how they can challenge their own beliefs how they can shape their own behaviors and make their own choices if one person in a business is doing that to the sphere of influence around them their bosses 
their peers, their customers, their suppliers, their friends, their family, if they're doing that, then the ripple effect can be profound. And it's one of the reasons why we're totally cool with the fact that our class sizes are really small and they were really small. You know, we have 30 scholars in each country each year. That's just 90 per year. We have across two regions, 40 CMOs go through our fellowship program. So it's 130 people a year. That's all going through our programs. But we know, and in fact, we recently did some research, we know that their influence is literally over millions. Because if you just look at each individual sphere of influence and multiply that by 120, it doesn't take you long to realize that you're in the tens, hundreds of thousands, that we've got 800 alumni around the world all modeling this kind of leadership stuff. You know, their impact is probably two or three million around the world. And then if you look at the influence that marketers have over their consumers, mm. you're talking about a billion. And it can start with a very, very small core. So the people within a business on their own, fighting against a tide of, you know, unhealthy, historic, hierarchical structures. Start with yourself and be the change you want to see. Don't be pissed off about it. Don't get resentful about it. Don't sit there and seethe about it. Just be different. That's all it needs. So that is the message. Be different and be the change you want to see in the world. Absolutely. I have really loved this conversation. I felt it myself for many years. This heart-centered leadership is what I call it. It's coming from a place of I want to do good and changing the paradigm with I just want to accumulate as much power and authority and status. And that's what need, really needs to change. So there's something about a generous sharing spirit here. Where can people find you and the Academy? Uh, we're on... Uh... The marketingacademy.org is the main website and there are three flags. Just click on the flag of the country you're interested in. So UK, Australia or US. So it's www.themarketingacademy.org. So I'm going to really encourage all the listeners to check out that, um, that website. And whether you want to be a young leader or you're an organization in need of these young leaders, please check out this website. It really is for the betterment of our future. Thank you so much, Sherilyn. I'm going to drop all of that information in the show notes as well. And before you disappear, is there anything else that you want to add? Is there anything that you think that needs to add to, to what we've discussed? No, not, well, not really. I just no. do believe that the future is bright. I really do. I think that our generation needs to get out of the way and we need to send the elevator down and we need to support, champion, encourage, empower and inspire those younger ones coming up underneath us because they'll rule the world and they'll do it better than we have. Geraldine, thank you very, very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the RebChat Inside Story series. We hope you enjoyed it. To feature your inside story, contact us at www.rebcatcreations.com or follow us on Instagram at rebcatcreations.com.